The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 149 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in both work and life. In this episode, I will be talking with Brian Saunders, who is the founder and CEO of Big Time Software. Brian will be talking to us about the business of engineering and specifically scaling up an engineering firm, which is a really cool topic that I know our listeners are interested in. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. Now, before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting is delighted to announce that Colliers International has completed the previously announced acquisition of a controlling interest in Mazer. This unique partnership allows Mazer's senior leadership to retain significant equity in the firm and continue driving operations while providing resources necessary to accelerate the growth of the business. Leveraging this partnership will result in exciting new career opportunities for employees, further diversification of Mazer's portfolio of work, and expansion of their footprint across the U.S. The company will be rebranded as Collier's Engineering Services in the first half of 2020. I'll tell you more about Mazer Consulting a little later on in the episode. I'm also excited to announce that we've launched our new platform for civil engineering companies, the Civil Engineering Collective. The CEC represents the first service specific to civil engineering firms offering a blend of coaching, training, talent acquisition, and marketing services. This platform fills several needs for civil companies, including training on important topics, and this is training that actually transfers back to the job through assignments and coaching. We offer executive mastermind groups and access to EMI's content for both talent acquisition and your marketing needs. Until now, civil firms didn't have access to one service to help with hiring the right people, consistent training of those individuals, and then retention. You can check out the collective at civilengineeringcollective.com. Again, that's civilengineeringcollective.com. And why not audit one of our upcoming sessions? All right, now we're going to jump into our interview with our guest for today, Brian Saunders. Brian's the founder and CEO of Big Time Software and a graduate of the University of Chicago who's grown up inside technology. He's lived through the boom and bust of the 90s, the financial crisis of 2008, and the last decade's explosive growth in the technology sector. Big Time is an online time and billing solution designed to serve professional service firms like accounting, engineering, government contracting, legal, and IT services. The service is an integrated solution which offers features like time and expense tracking, WIP management, task and workflow management, invoicing, billing, and more. And Brian is so knowledgeable because they've serviced over 2,000 professional services firms. So he really does dig into what it takes to grow a professional services firm, and I'm excited to share this interview with you. So let's dive into this week's civil engineering conversation 
of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome on our guest for today. Brian Saunders is the founder and CEO of Big Time Software. Brian, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Uh, obviously, being that uh, Big Time is focused on online time and billing solutions is such an important aspect of what we do, especially in the civil engineering space. You know, I know civil engineers don't like filling out their timesheet, but it's really the bread and butter on how you can bill your clients. So really important. So Brian, before we kind of get into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, take us back a little bit and tell us how and why you started big time. I actually grew up as a software engineer. You know, I ran a company in what people today would call product consulting before product existed back in the nineties. And, and so we would go in and consult with firms and it, you know, grew kind of through that same space that we try to help today. You know, we started out with two or three guys, me and a couple of founders in, in my living room, and, and eventually kind of grew that to one of the top 25 software firms in Chicago and had a, a great exit in just before the market crash in 2000. And you know, I kind of lived that problem. And my old partner used to say, you know, we learned every lesson that we learned through just brute experience. You know, we learned all of the stuff about time management and, and utilization and how to get projects to work well, not just work well, but work well together all through just failures and fixes and figuring out like how to run the company better. So by the time we'd been through that whole boxing match, big time was real, a real passion for mine because at, at the time there wasn't really anything out there to manage a professional organization effectively. There's lots of one-off solutions, but we needed something that, that wasn't out there designed for plumbers and electricians and forest rangers. We need something that was designed for professionals. And so that's kind of where I spent, you know, the next decade and a half kind of building the system that is today the core of big time engineering firms are interesting in terms of the way they grow and the way they evolve. And, you know, you've had so much experience kind of watching them. Maybe you could talk kind of a little bit about the evolution of engineering firms from kind of infancy to how they kind of scale. And, you know, everybody's different. So I I hate to paint too broad a brush with the industry because every engineering is especially, it's like accounting where it's very much prescription for how those organizations grow. Engineering firms are ultimately an art. So they develop a specialty and that might be a very lucrative specialty with five or six people over the course of the entire you know, lifetime of the firm. Or it may be we start out just like big time did with, with two or three people who are focused on hiring younger engineers and trying to kind of train them in our methodology and take advantage of the area that we have an expertise in. So it's always a little bit different. And, you know, increasingly we're seeing a lot of people come to big time after the firm has been grown by one generation and really try to convert it from this lifestyle business into something that can grow to 40 or 50 engineers as the next generation takes over. So it can take a lot of different paths, but ultimately there's this point in a young engineering firm's life where uh, the founder or the initial partners can be involved in the sale, in the scoping of a project, but they're not really involved in the delivery of every project. And that it's a super stressful period of time. And, you know, that happened with us too. I remember the moment at, for us, it was probably 10 to 15 people where I kind of realized, boy, a lot of these projects that I'm in, I made commitments to personally, I'm not the one delivering on those commitments. So it gets super stressful. And the way you approach that stress typically, it depends on your personality. But for me, it was very much like being in everybody's face, you know, so where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? And kind of moving people aside and getting involved. And, and it wasn't helpful for the growth of the organization. 
And so that's where a system like Big Time comes into play. And really, any system comes into play that allows you to say, look, here's the system, here's the budget, here's the commitment. And I want to push that down to the rest of the organization. And then I want to react where I can be helpful. And I want to let the team work where I can't be helpful. That uh, period of time, that evolution is typically where somebody calls us. And that's where we kind of get started. And then there's this, so call it the first phase, from an individual business into something where we're working as a group. And then as soon as you get used to that period, that working as a group, you get to you know, 20, 30, 50 uh, individuals. And now suddenly the impetus for the next hire is financial team or a business team. Somebody whose job is to work on the business as opposed to work on the client projects. And that individual brings, you know, expertise in terms of workflow. They're typically head of operations. Maybe they might have a finance bent. Maybe they're a controller. But their job is to really systematize the things that you do every day. And oftentimes, that's another flex point where they start to leverage systems like big time to, to measure things like utilization and realization and to try and do allocation planning and figure out who's efficient and who's not and try and systematize things. And that's the exciting part about that flex moment in a, in a firm's growth is that you really see kind of a hockey stick after that individual has their, puts their thumbprint onto the organization. Both very, very highly stressful of those transitions. And kind of the reason that I was asking that and digging in on that a little bit is because I know for a fact a lot of our listeners are, you know, civil engineers aspiring to own their own firms in the future. So I think it's really good for them to understand what that progression might look like because it is stressful and you know they should be prepared for that but at the same time like you said when you get through it it can the problem is you get a well-meaning advice from people who are at different stages of an organization's growth and from their perspective they have this aha moment and they want to share it with you as a one or a two-person firm hey this is really important or that is really important and the reality is the advice that's helpful is helpful because it's you're at that stage in the company's growth. So when somebody says you really need somebody to manage the, you know, work on the business of the business, well, wait a sec, no, we're three people. We need somebody who can help us turn this from occasional jobs into something that's systematic. We need to develop our kind of secret sauce, if you will. So it's super, it's super tough. There's never been a better time to go out and start your own firm. So. And that's great advice, right? Really seeking advice and mentorship from someone who's kind of close to have where you've been, you know, not too far off, or at least they can, you know, put themselves in those shoes in a relative time. You, know, you talk about growing your firm beyond the two pizza team. You maybe talk about that a little bit, what that means. That's a, uh, an Amazon thing. You know, the idea that all these great things are invented by teams that you can feed with two pizzas, right? And so and that's that first stage of growth, right? Like I might be an individual or I might be two or three people, but we can literally sit together in a room and work through most of our challenges together. And these days, maybe sit on a Zoom screen where every face fits onto that expanded view, right? Like we get it. We're all there. We, like I know everybody. I know every project. That's a great feeling. And it's a feeling that lots of engineers, especially engineers, and that's not just civil engineers, but anybody in that with that bent, you know, that engineering bent, loves because it's enough social that I can really collaborate and grow as a professional, but it's not so much drudgery that I disconnected from the client work. Then as the company gets bigger than that, you lose insight into what that team is doing. The question is how deep can you step into it so that you can feel comfortable that you're delivering what you committed to, to the clients, but you're not standing in the way of the people who are benefiting from that two piece of team. Back to your point about finding mentors that fit your stage, right? Like ultimately, as you get bigger, your job is to help the people in those teams get better at what they do. 
That's your whole job. One, I got to figure out what it is, what our secret sauce is as a firm so that I can go out and make sure that I can reproduce it. But also I'm shifting from the business of delivering client work to the business of helping those people deliver client work. And that shift is mentally massive. It's, it's really tough. And you have to work on how am I going to communicate this thing, whatever it is. And every engineering firm is different. It might be a geography. It might be a municipality. It might be a specific kind of type of projects that you're very good at scoping out. So how am I going to help these new engineers understand and kind of own that secret sauce and deliver it to my clients in a way that we're all proud of? I like terms like the two pizza team, just because it's helpful for you to think about, oh, I'm still in that stage where, you know, I got to feed everyone with two pizzas, just, you know, because sometimes you're stuck in it. So you can't see how you're progressing and what stage you're at and and things like that are helpful. And, and really at EMI, we're going through that now. I mean, I used to do all of our instructing and all of our podcast hosting, and now we have a handful of instructors and now we have several different hosts on the different podcasts. And so, you know, you're right. It's a stressful time. You want to make sure that the quality of the services that are being delivered are maintained. But at the same time, you also have to step back and realize that if I keep doing this all myself, we're never going to hit that trajectory or that path of growth. 100%. And Anthony, the, the question you find a podcast isn't quite what you're looking for. And you have an opportunity to now talk to that interviewer or that individual, or that reporter, and help them understand, all right, well, here's why it's a miss. Stepping in, that's, you're, you've already made the mistake. The miss already occurred in that you didn't communicate yet enough for that person to be able to competently execute. So it's less a question of kind of browbeating the interviewer, right? Like, why is it missing this and this and this? And more a question of, okay, so we know these are important. I want to confirm that we know they're important. And now how can I make sure that I'm communicating that to the next person? And I never have to step in. It's the key differential between that kind of two-person team size and the 15, 20, 30-person firm. Those latter firms have made the transition successfully to say, we can identify what's a success and we can identify what it takes to help other people build that success. And now it's just a question of how good are we at scaling up? How good are we at training? And, so, and it takes some time. It takes some calendar time to get good at that. I always tell people for engineers specifically, this is one of the hardest things to do because if you think about it, when you start your career, you're knee deep in every detail of every project and you like it, right? Because that's what they, you taught and learn in school. You like doing those calculations, but if you really want to be that kind of entrepreneurial engineer who's going to start and grow a business, you're just going to have to pull yourself out of those details and find someone that can handle them. And like Brian said, not get sucked back into them and, you know, kind of resist that. And, and it is a difficult thing to do, but it's good to talk about it a little bit with you because I think people need to hear about it. I talked to somebody who's running a software firm much bigger than us. He's a mentor in Chicago for me and for a bunch of other people. And he's a product guy. He's like me. And I said, uh, one of the questions I asked him was, you know, don't you miss it? Like, aren't you tempted to go sit at your desk and think product and call the person who's running it now and say, Hey, what about these seven things? And like I'm looking at the firm to come over and chat with you and I'm thinking of four things I do with your product. And he said, well, the company's the product now. I have the same approach, but now it's the company's the product. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it's kind of the same thing with engineering, right? Less so the, the firm, right? It's not the logo, the website, the case studies, the marketing team, the finance, right? Although those are indicators, but it's more like, how are we communicating what makes us unique such that when I hear questions from young engineers, I know I can spot from the questions what the problem is. So the calculation you're doing is on, okay, well, we ended up here and I want to know over here. So let's work backwards and figure out the calculation of how they got there so that we don't do it again. 
it's less the answer to the specific question and more the answer to how do we get here. It can be fun in its own right. The philosophy is really important, right? Like you said, the product is the company. Just that little mindset itself is, is really huge. Let's talk for a minute about your journey from going from software engineering to obviously becoming a CEO of a company. For you, was that something that was kind of a goal of yours? Like, talk about that. Because I know, like I said, a lot of listeners want to do that. Maybe some listeners don't have any idea they're going to own their own company, but they may end up doing it. So tell us about kind of your specific journey. I've always been an entrepreneur. So I worked for other people when I was in college, but I've kind of always been kind of doing my own thing. And so it's hard for me to say what the transition is. I know we work with two or 3,000 CEOs at, at firms big and small. And so I get to talk to them a lot too. There are two types of individuals, right? There are people who are entrepreneurs and people who could have done that, right? And so as you start your firm, you hear a lot from the latter, right? As you're off doing your own thing, you, you hear a lot from people who, oh yeah, I was going to start my own firm. There's a kind of hobbyist entrepreneur who just, it takes a lot of risk. It takes a lot of stupidity to be able to just jump out and say, you know, I'm going to forego the paycheck. But on the other side of it, it's super rewarding. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, the only person you have to blame is yourself for both your successes and your failures. And the part of the joy of growing the company is that you get to experience that and share it with other people. So that you increase the number of people that can celebrate those successes and come together for all the failures. And there will be a ton of those. You knew you were going to grow a business. It was just a matter of finding what industry, what type of business. I think that let's talk about the things that stop the person who ought to be running their own business. And you know who you are, right? You should be on your own. What stops you? And one of the things that stops you is this spreadsheet paralysis. You go do the analysis and say, okay, well, so I know I could probably get two customers or two clients, and I think they could produce this t- level of revenue, but I don't think I could get make the same kind of money, and I don't know how I would do X and Y. So as you put together the spreadsheet, you can't get the numbers to foot. And especially in services, it's so, you know, it kind of works itself out. Like as long as you're, you continue to practice your craft and you're good at what you do, as long as you can find people who believe in you as an individual who will give you a chance you can grow a pretty successful engineering practice. And now the hard part is, do you want to be 50 people? Do you want to be five? Do you want to have a specialty in a given geography or a given type of you know, structure, site, and product and be the best in the world at that? And that's it. And the nice thing is today's business environment lets you to pick any of those things. But you do kind of want to have an eye toward what you're trying to build because then all your decisions are going to drive you in that direction. One thing I'll add to that, just from my own experience, and, and I agree with Brian in that, you know, that kind of paralysis by analysis, I think, haunts a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, taking that step, getting out there. You know, they say they want to have their own business, but they never actually take that step. Maybe they try some things on the side. And for me, what I recognize is that once you kind of go all in on something, it's a total different game. Like you're so into it and you have so much energy and it's, you need to go all in. It's easier than you think. I mean, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. But when you're doing all those calculations and saying, geez, how am I going to get two clients? If you're working on this every day, all day, like, and you need to get two clients or you're not going to get paid and you know, be able to pay your mortgage, you're going to get two clients. So, but sometimes you just need all that pressure. You need to just go for it and put everything into it. And so I'm just sharing that in case some of you are out there saying, you know, I'm really close, but uh, it's like, well, unless you try it, you're not going to know how it is to be full in. And think about the clarity you get once you are fully plugged in. It's scary at first. And, and I'm not sure there ever, ever is a right time to make the move, but it's always just a little bit later than you should have. 
I could think more and more and more. It's never quite the right time. And then when you're in it, you're like, God, I should have done this last year or I should have done this last week. You develop that energy and that clarity and suddenly those opportunities just show up. I can tell you without question that when we were doing product consulting back in the 90s, I have no idea how we landed our first client. I can tell you who they are, but I have no idea how we landed them. They just kind of happened. And we didn't have a plan for it. It wasn't in the spreadsheet. It wasn't the clients that we identified as likely. They just kind of happened. And I think that that's the type of thing you get when you just jump in, you know, with both feet. Brian, just getting a little bit to, you know, the recent times now, we had this pandemic that we've kind of been going through, still going through. That's caused hardships, of course, across all industries. And I know you work with professional services firms. A lot of them are engineering firms. And I know Big Time's done some surveying of their clients and in, in the industry. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you found with some of that surveying in terms of now and maybe in the future based on what you're hearing of kind of where we're headed. If you could share any insights that you may have picked up. We went out with to our several thousand customers early on in mid-March to ask them, are you reducing staff? How long do you think work from home is going to function? How are you dealing with travel? You know, just some basics. And then we followed up with them in May and we'll do our third kind of survey in June just to get a feel for sentiment and how it's changed. When by we, I mean engineering, we're maybe a a ridgeline or two away from the epicenter of this particular recession. You may be consulting with people who are in travel, leisure, restaurant, but you're not in that business. So while those businesses are imploding and it's all over the news, engineering isn't necessarily imploding. When we looked at the survey, I'm staring at the results above, so I keep staring up at the next screen. We had something like 41% in this most recent survey that they have little or no impact for revenues in 2020. And even among those folks, we only had about 23% that say the impact would be significant. That's principally related to the types of customers that you service. You know, I think a, a reflection of how strong the pipeline was at the end of 2019. A lot of the work that you're doing today because the recession is so quick and so deep, and then in theory, the recovery should be, if, you know, whether it's V-shape or not, it should be fairly quick because those businesses that shuttered can suddenly open. So that does create a little bit of a bounce. And it could be that, that people are seeing less of an impact in 2020 revenue because 19 is carrying us through. But most firms only have four to five months worth of visibility in their pipeline. So as it stretches, as we get, you know, state closures or, or reopenings that take longer than that, I'm kind of burning through that three or four months or four to five months of visibility, meaning booked work that I can continue to work on because, you know, I don't need to, to do anything new. It takes longer, obviously, than that to, to really get back to somewhere close to normal, then it will probably start to fe- see the sentiment change. But for now, we haven't seen a lot of it. Significant number of our customers that are small are looking at PPP in order to preserve staff. Very small uh, group of people are looking to lay off significant staff, although more than half are looking to cut back in some way. I had a conversation probably a month, six weeks ago with an engineering firm in California who said, you know, he just had furloughed his his whole survey team. And I said, I don't get it. Like what? It's survey. Like they can go out and survey. They're out in the middle of nowhere. Like they're not going to see anybody. Why would you have to furlough them? And he said, I can't pull permits. Like the state of California has said, none of the work we do is essential. So we can't pull permits. So so it's that type of thing that is encouraging to me because that means as soon as that guy can pull permits, he's got backlog. You can go out there and get the work done. What's interesting, you asked about 12 months from now, like what happens next? And I do think that there's a fundamental shift in the, our physical environment that will never go back to the way it was. 
partially because people don't want to be shut up in offices, partially because we've had months and months of people working from home where they've been effective. And so maybe I don't need to go back to it. And partially because I want to be prepared as a company for the next threat. And so I don't see a lot of expertise in the new physical space. I don't know what that looks like, but you know, post 9-11, which was the crisis that was where my industry was at the epicenter, right? That's when technology went to zero. And post 9-11, we had another change in physical infrastructure. Our public spaces changed. And at first they were all these concrete blocks in front of the federal building downtown Chicago, right? They're just really ugly. And slowly architecture and engineering firms started to specialize in, in an area that is a brand new area, which is, okay, so how do I protect this public space, but not make it look like a bunker? And that's an expertise that people now make a ton of money on. I think that there's that same opportunity in this space today, but I haven't seen it play out yet. It'll be interesting to see who steps to the fore to your point, it's pretty much exactly what we're seeing, you know, in talking with a lot of civil engineering companies over the past few months. I mean, every one of them told us that Q1 2020 was their best quarter, kind of like in the history of their company. But then to your point, while they have some backlog now, what they're concerned about, of course, is, you know, all infrastructure, a lot of infrastructure funding comes from people driving their cars and paying tolls. And that hasn't been happening. So that's going to catch up eventually, unless, of course, the federal government does some kind of infrastructure stimulus, which is possible, but that's where uncertainty, I think, is playing in a little bit is, yeah, everything's going great. We're riding some stuff now that we've had, but just not sure. We can't kind of see over that hill and see what's going to happen when some of this stuff catches up. So we're talking with Brian Saunders, CEO of Big Time Software, and we've talked a lot about building engineering companies, building companies in general, but Brian's talked to a lot of engineering CEOs, his clients, and I know a lot of you out there are either growing civil engineering company, or you want to start one. And so hopefully some of what we've talked about has been helpful. What we're going to do now is just take a quick break. We're going to come back in our civil engineering hot seat segment and wrap it up by kind of peppering uh, Brian with a few more questions here. So stick with us. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right. Now it's time to put Brian Soners on the civil engineering hot seat. But before we do that, I would once again like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Due to the growth, Mazer Consulting has a new and exciting opportunity for a civil site project management with experience in residential and commercial land development to work out of their Montvale, New Jersey office. To learn more, or if you're interested in this position, contact Michael Weissman at 732-309-7879 and let him know you heard about the position on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Again, that's Michael Weissman at 732-309-7879. All right, we are back with Brian Saunders, CEO of Big Time Software. Big Time is an online time and billing solution that helps service professionals. And Brian, some great stuff that we've been talking about so far, but now we want to focus a little bit more on you and some of your routines, just because, you know, that's what we do in the civil engineering hot seat segment. So the first question is, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific routine, whether it's morning, lunchtime, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that helps you? I think I like the chaos. I mean, you know, part of uh, being an entrepreneur is that you wake up to a new opportunity, fire, important topic, whatever. And I, I do like to leap into it. 
I don't really do much in terms of breakfast. So your routine is consistent chaos, basically. My wife makes fun of me because I'll come home and really hungry and she'll say, well, what, what the heck? Like, what did you have for lunch? And I don't think I ate lunch. I don't remember. I was at my desk the whole day. So I think that once you get into it, I, I really like that chaos and it just kind of sucks me in and keeps me occupied for the full 10 hours. And then I feel like that kind of energizes me for the next day. I guess routine is important for sure. Getting into the details important for sure. I would say try and get into the stuff that you love right away. Like whatever it is, get into the stuff that you're passionate about because it gives you so much energy and that's going to drive you through the rest of the day. As the company grows and there are those things that you don't enjoy, get them off your desk. Somebody somewhere is going to really love that. If your thing is not the financials or the, the monthly billing and the whole workflow for invoicing, there is somebody who's passionate about that. Give them a chance. Like that's the way the firm grows. You focus on what you love. You find other people who focus on what they love and together you build a great company. All right. Next question. I see you have a lot of books there. What's one book that has been a big time you know, help for you personally or professionally? We read a lot of books, but there's always those couple that stick out. Is there any that stand out for you? A lot of what I do is in, in kind of the software product space. So I, you know, read a lot of Jeffrey Moore. He's kind of an archetype for me. You know, my philosophy for product is kind of a marriage between Jeffrey Moore and the innovator's dilemma that Clay Christensen wrote back in the nineties. And so those two are kind of fundamental uh, touchstones for me. I do a lot of incidental reading. Most of this is not at all related to business or self-help or, you know, anything related to product. That book, Sapiens, is great. If you haven't read it yet, you should. It's about the kind of the history of humans from an archaeologist perspective. And uh, so I would pick that up and read it tomorrow. If I read you four titles off that shelf, you'd be like, yeah, I got nothing. There's nothing that links those things together. I know you've been an entrepreneur for pretty much your whole life, but in any situations where you did have managers that you can remember, what did you like about them? Or if you think back and say, man, that was a great manager to me. They were a great manager. They knew how to lead. Like, what are the characteristics that anyone that's led for you would be? I don't know about the, the great managers in my life because they're more personalities or, or this cult of strong personality. But I think the guys who are most successful that I have talked with, the people who are most successful at building firms that, that I get to talk with, their number one trait is empathy. Like they, as a manager, the first thing I think is, all right, well, how did you get here? Where are you right now? I can use that empathy to figure out how to get you to where you ought to be. There are people who talk a lot about kind of hard driving managers, you know, pound on the desk and, and that type of thing. And I, just, I know that there's a place for them. I just, I'm not motivated by them at all. The, the people who really help me and the people where I've seen make a profound difference in the folks that work for us, they're empathetic and they listen first, think about it. Oftentimes, you know, I might present a conflict or a problem with a client or a situation and their answer to that is, okay, I get it. I understand. I got to think about it. I'm not sure. Think about that. So now you have empathy and then coupled with that, you have just this total honesty about what they do. We, in the software, one of the things people either love or hate is that it's very open. We try to make sure that the budgets are open to everybody, the, the billing rates are kind of you know out there for people to understand in terms of how it affects the budget. I think that reflects my own personal philosophy that the more open you are with the line employee, the, the staff at the firm, the more likely are they are to do the right thing because ultimately that's kind of what they want to do. And so I think empathy and honesty are the two things that really kind of drive a successful manager in my life. All right, last question here, and we call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question, but really it could be focused on any uh, service professionals. I know that's who you work with on a broad basis. 
But if you get an elevator with, you know, a young service professional and they're like, you know, I really want to grow my career. I want to be a CEO at some point, And you only had about 30 seconds with him or her. What would you tell them? My son is 19 now and thinking about business and they ask the same question, him and all his friends, what, do you, what would you do? And I, I think uh, you're in a firm now where you can get close to somebody who is doing what you do. And typically in a civil engineering firm, that means partners that you work on and other firms, it might be somebody who's kind of a senior architect or engineer, get close to them, you know, understand kind of not just how they do the work, right? Because it, your job is to do the work. You ought to know how to run the calculations and, and put together the right specs, but how do you deal with a client? How do you deal with this problem? Like, listen to it. And then the second piece of advice that's important, if I had more than 30 seconds, we're in Chicago. It's a very tall building. Get close to the client. Like every single chance you have to sit in a meeting with a client, be there. I don't care if you can't say a word. If it's not your client, you have no idea this is a brand new project that you're sitting in. Sit in every client call, meeting, conversation you can possibly sit in. Because what you're going to see is all of us take this for granted, but they have no idea. Like all of us understand that soil composition is super important or whatever the thing is, they have no idea. When Joe or Sally explained it to them, they didn't get it. You start to understand the myths. And so a lot of selling is storytelling. And the more you're involved in customer relationship, the better you're going to have, the more stories you'll have to tell. That's great. And I love that last piece of advice there. I mean, that's what I did as a young civil engineer. Oftentimes, you know, we have to go to planning board meetings and present to the towns and the civil engineer is there with the client. And, you know, when you're young, you don't go to those meetings. They don't have a budget to bring you to those meetings, but I just would go. I just told engineers, go, you know, volunteer what it's one night a month and you're going to see the client interacting with your boss. You're going to see your boss presenting the project. That's just invaluable. I mean, you can't get that back. And that's something that you can really use going forward. Ryan Saunders, founder and CEO of Big Time Software. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today on the Civil Engineering Podcast. It's nice to see you again, Anthony. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. And I also want to thank our listeners who have jumped over and started listening to our new podcast, the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, which you can find at geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com. We recently interviewed ASCE National President, President Gunalan, also known as Guna Tameni, and he talked about the exciting future of geotechnical engineering and kind of gave his career story. That was very inspiring. Again, you can find that at geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com. Remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 149. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And if you think your firm might be interested in our new service, the Civil Engineering Collective, you can check that out at civilengineeringcollective.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.